Uh, God has given me a word, um, not a long word, but a word for you. And I believe that God is wanting to minister. Um, we've been talking about uh, where we started a series last week, I should say, um, that we we're titling When Love Speaks, Seven Words from the Cross, looking at these last words that are so important. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, he made seven final statements. And, uh, and as Jesus did that, you better believe that they have profound meaning for your life. There are huge implications in these seven words for your life. In the last week, we talked about the, his first word from the cross was, Father, forgive them, right? And, uh, and we looked at a word of forgiveness and how we can live guilt-free and how God wants us to live guilt-free. And he it designed us to do that. And, uh, and it was neat how God was just working in our, our hearts last week and how we moved into... Um, uh, communion and uh, just being representative of what God has done, and then water baptism. It was awesome. Well, today I want to look very briefly at the famous exchange between the thief on the cross and Jesus. And uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. And today we're going to be talking about a word of assurance. A word of assurance. And like most of you, I like guarantees, and uh, we all like guarantees. Um, we want something to work when we buy it, right? We want something to be predictable in our relationships. We, we prefer uh, some certainty in our uh, walk uh, as we go through lives, through our lives. And you know, as I was thinking, 15 years being married to Jessica, I've learned one thing about Jessica and many women in general, women uh, thrive on security, right? They want to know that things are good, that their house is in order. And so whether we're dealing with people and personalities, we want to know how people react. If we are going to work and give a, a good day's wage, we want the assurance that we're going to get a paycheck, right? Right? <laughs> okay, thank you. And uh, if we buy a car, and some of you have bought cars where there's warranties, you want to know that if something did go wrong with the transmission or with the engine or whatever, that that warranty would be good. And we, we appreciate those things in our lives. But really, life is not full of assurance. In fact, life is full of uncertainty. Just this week, there, the, uh, from the national news, you saw, and I saw with you, how hundreds of people have been displaced because of flooding and tornadoes. Um, one of our friends at the district office, Mary Beth Bradshaw, her two sisters live, uh, cousins, I'm sorry, cousins, live in that area, and both homes were completely leveled and destroyed. Talk about some uncertainty. And that happened to hundreds of people. In fact, several people uh, died. You say, well, that was just this week. Well, you back it up a week, there was a fire right down the road from, from us uh, in Steve and Jody's neighborhood. It completely leveled the house. Uncertainty. Talk about death this week. How many heard the, uh, the director from Teen Challenge, from, uh, the one that uh, established Teen Challenge, uh, Wilkerson, right? David Wilkerson, uh, in a car accident, died, and his wife is still in critical condition. And you'd say, man, what in the world? Uh, this week, just in our, uh, in our own public schools in Grand Haven, uh, a young man decided to take his life, committed suicide in Grand Haven public schools. Think about the uncertainty in that family at this moment as they're dealing with the shame and the guilt and all that, that is uh, around that circumstance. In our church, we've experienced some loss indirectly. 
Um, the Helmkas. I was uh, talking with Jim earlier this week. He called and said, Pastor won't be there at Sunday. Uh, his uncle at the age of 59 over on the east side of the state, uh, northeast, um, uh, passed away. And, uh, and he was, I was like, well, were you expecting that? And he said, well, he'd been sick, but we weren't expecting this. The uncertainty of life. And then also, uh, even in Pastor Mark and Julie's life, um, Pastor Mark's grandpa uh, had been sick. You guys, had, Julie had been planning a, a, to visit again on Monday, and you won't have that opportunity. Uh, the funeral will be on Monday. His uh, grandpa slipped into eternity. And it's like, wow, what in the world? Whether it's work or raising our kids or our health, there is a lot of uncertainty that we deal with, isn't there? Surprise! <laughs> But the good news is there's one area of our lives that there is no doubt, no concern, no need to worry. There's an area of our lives that we can have perfect assurance every day of our lives, and that's in the area of our eternal destiny. And like I said a little bit earlier, I want you to listen like your life depended on it this morning, because it does. And not only does your life depend on, on, on what I'm about to say, but the lives of the people that you rub shoulders with, their lives depend on the message today. And so we need to pay close, close attention. We can know for sure today, without ever doubting again, without any misconceptions, we can settle it today where we will spend an eternity. And I want to take you to a passage in Luke chapter 23. Hopefully you're there. Luke chapter 23, as we read this, my prayer is that I will be able to be concise and clear, condensed, to explain what you must do to be saved. We want to talk about a word of assurance. And, uh, and, you know, we could talk and we could study uh, this idea of salvation uh, from a lot of different angles. I want to condense it down this morning and to talk about the minimum factor. What's the bare minimum? What's the thing, the, the one thing you need to do in order to experience salvation and, uh, and then for not only for you to experience that yourself, and there may be some this morning that have never given their heart to the Lord, or you need to come back to the Lord this morning. We're going to give you a chance to do that. But then second, um, to be able to explain that to others. Let's look at Luke chapter 23. Luke 23 says, A large number of people followed him, including a woman who, the women who mourned and wailed for him. Verse 32, uh, two, two other men, both criminals, were led out, uh, led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place of the skull, they were crucified, where they were going to crucify him, along with the criminals, one on the right side and the other on his left. Jesus said this, and this was the first word we talked about last week. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided up his clothes and they, by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, and the, the chosen one. The soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. And we talked last week briefly about the last thing on Jesus' mind was to save himself. He was there to save us. He was not about to, to jump off that cross, although we know that he could have. 
says, there was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what, we, what our deeds deserve. But this man was, has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered this, the second word of assurance here. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, use your word to leap out into our lives and just challenge us this morning. Amen. Amen. Two criminals, one on each side of Jesus. The first guy insults Jesus. In the Greek, the word there is blasphemo, which means to demean or to put down. And so you, you, we understand that he is blaspheming Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, hurling insults at Jesus. The second criminal, the second guy, no theologian, doesn't know a lot himself, has lived a life as a criminal, he's dying on the cross, but he understood what it took to be saved. He knew enough. In fact, there were five things that he knew. And those five things you must know in order to have no doubt of whether you will end up in heaven or not. What must you do? What must you know to be saved? The first thing he knew, the man dying on the cross, the first thing he knew is that he would face God after death. Let's look at Luke 23, verse 40. It says here, but the other criminal rebuked the one that had just blasphemed Jesus. He says, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? He's realizing the seriousness of his circumstances at that moment. He's a few seconds away from eternity, dying on the cross, and he understood that he would face God. Now, there are people in my life that I play basketball with, uh, that I rub shoulders with on a regular basis, that do not believe that there is any life after death. There are people that you know that do not believe that once you die, there is something else. Now, let me just say, that is a fatal mistake. Death is not the end. In many cases, it's just the beginning for us, for all of us, no matter what we believe. You do not want to be wrong about your eternity. And the thief on the cross knew that he would face God. And I'll say this, one day you will face God. And one day your friends and your neighbors and your family members will face God as well. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, if you look there uh, with me, it says, just as, as man is destined to die once, and after that he will face judgment. You will not be able to ignore God if you are ignoring God on this side of, of eternity. When you pass into eternity, you will face a heavenly Father that loves you very much, but his character is true. And if you have not settled your destiny uh, with him, uh, you will do it at that moment. And you'll either have one, one or two choices to spend an eternity in heaven or to spend an eternity separated from him. And the thief on the cross seemed to understand that. The second thing he understood was that he knew that, his, that he had sinned against God. 
call it confession. At this moment, he's not hiding. He's not excusing himself. He's not blaming anyone. Last week, we talked about it, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so God is saying, if you do your part, I'll do my part. And the thief on the cross, he deserved to die. If you look at it, In Luke chapter 23, verse 41, he understood that he had sinned. Look at this, Um, verse 41. It says, we are being punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserved. He understood that he deserved to die. The thief deserved to die. But you know what? You deserve to die as well. And I deserve to die. James chapter 2, verse 10, won't take the time to look at it. It explains that even if you have one sin, you could follow the law in, in perfect, uh, every law you could be, have right in your life, but if there's even one, you are disqualified. You are considered a lawbreaker. So this idea that, well, I'm better than so-and-so, or uh, I'm, you know, I'm better than this person or that person, uh, I'm okay, that is irrelevant when it comes to eternity. I don't know about you, sometimes I've thought about it. I, I, you know, I like to rate people, you know, maybe a one being, you know, Satan himself and a uh, hundred being Jesus, okay? I mean, you'd probably like to do this too. I was thinking about it, you know. Uh, you know, we'd, ha- we'd rate Hitler just above Satan, so we'll give Hitler a two, okay? Um, let's give uh, Billy Graham, I don't know, maybe a 90, um, how about Charlie Sheen these days? Maybe a, I don't know, maybe a 10, I got rid of five. You'd probably rate me around a 15 or so because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I'm better than Pastor Ben. And that's okay, you probably are. I don't know, maybe Jonathan Luther would get a 55. Where's John Sowen, the man of God? Uh, we'll give him a, what are you guys going to give him? 80, okay, good 80, good strong 80. But you know what? As close as you could get to 100, you're not going to get there because no one's perfect. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody measures up. And the fact is, is that heaven is a perfect place as we understand it in Scripture. It's a perfect place. And just because I'm better than Hitler or you think you're better than me, uh, which you probably are, that does not get you into heaven. We don't measure up because God expects perfection. But how many are thankful for Romans 6, 23? For the wages of sin is what? Death. That's what we've earned. The wages of sin, which we've all done, is death. But the what? The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And it's a gift. It's undeserved. Someone had to pay. And Jesus says, look, I'll do it. I'll make the payment, I'll do the time, Uh, I'll pay the fine for you and for each and every one of us. And the thief, he understood that, that he was a sinner. And he not only knew that he would face God, he knew he was a sinner. The third thing, he knew that Jesus was more than a man. Let's look at verse um, 41, the second part uh, of that. Uh, We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. You got to know this to be true. He understood that Jesus was a perfect man. He wasn't there saying, Jesus is not quite as bad as us. You know, just give him a break. 
He wasn't saying that Jesus' good works were better than, than ours. Give him a break to the, other, uh, to the other criminal. He was saying that Jesus was perfection. Nothing wrong. And I looked that up in the Greek. It means nothing wrong. He had done nothing wrong from the time he was born to the time he died and then resurrected into heaven after the, after the resurrection. And that means that Jesus had the ability to save us. And only Jesus could save us. There's a lot of good people in this world. In fact, uh, if you Google in, um, uh, who in this world has saved more people than any other man? It's interesting. I did it this week. A guy by the name of Norman Borlaug uh, comes up. And the executive director of the UN program, UN uh, food program, said this about him. He said, Norman saved more lives than any other man in history. Has anyone ever heard of Norman uh, Borlo? No, neither had I. But he had invented, early this, uh, uh, in the 40s, a high-yield, drought-resistant, disease-resistant crop. He was able to create uh, the ability in places like China and India and Bangladesh and Pakistan, where they every year experienced extreme famine, they were able to now uh, produce crops on a regular basis. In fact, each and every one of those four, um, four people or four countries are now exporting food. We probably eat the food uh, made in those areas because of Norman. It's uh, estimated that he saved over one billion people from starvation because of his discovery. He won a Nobel Peace Prize. This man was a great man. He loved the Lord. Uh, the story of his life, as I read it this week, he was a Christian, a believer. In fact, when he received the Nobel Peace Prize, he quoted scripture several times in his speech, and he was an incredible man. But was he perfect? No. Only Jesus was able to do that. And the thief on the cross knew that Jesus was more than a man, and you need to understand that as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20 says, There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Not one of us. Just in case there was ever a doubt, you are a sinner. <laughs> and uh, just look at the person next to you and just you know, give them the nod like I knew that. <laughs> like we know that. And, and they knew that as well. The fourth thing he did, and I'll make these, these last two quick, the fourth thing, he knew that grace could save him. Looking at verse 42 uh, of the story, he says, Then Jesus said, he said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. He knew about Jesus. He knew about Jesus' miracles. And he wasn't saying, hey, perform a miracle. He wasn't trying to bargain or bribe or to make excuses at that point. The thief on the cross just said, remember me. And this kind of messes with a lot of Christians it's kind of messed with me at different times in my life. When we look at that, all he said was, remember me. And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, I repent, or I believe, or I trust, or I receive. We can throw out the ABCs of salvation, admitting, believing, confessing, that we often use. But his heart was right, and God knew his heart. And it doesn't matter what you say when you come to the Lord. God knows your heart, and he's saying, come. The fifth thing that he knew is that Jesus would save him if he asked. 
he would save him if he asked. It says there, it says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. That was his greatest need. It wasn't the pain he was experiencing on the cross. He didn't ask, hey, after, after, you, after we die, you know, raise us again. He wasn't asking for a miracle at that point. He's just saying, remember me. And he understood that Jesus would save him if, they, if he would ask. And if you ask, God will save you as well. How do you know for sure that you're saved? How do, you, do I know that you can make it to heaven? How can you be sure? How can you be certain? How can you eliminate doubt? Well, I'll just say this. The first thing is that your assurance does not come in your ability to do good works. You cannot earn your salvation. The second thing is, is that you can be sure, but it doesn't come by the way that you feel. Feelings come and go, don't they? Feelings will come and go, but you can know for sure. It doesn't matter what you feel. Our assurance of salvation comes from God's word and what God's word says. The promise in verse 43. It's a promise in God's word. He said it to the thief on the cross and he'll say to you that today, I assure you, you will be with me in paradise today. And just recently in George and Linda's uh, life, uh, George was sharing with me um, that his brother Frank, uh, and he was going to share this, but I said, hey, can I share this just for the sake of time? Uh, we've been praying for Frank I, on Wednesday nights in prayer, and uh, he was uh, very sick, close to death. And uh, Linda and George and I, we went and visited him. And you know, at those moments where, where death is uh, close, you don't mess around. You don't say, hey, how's the weather? You get right to the point and say, hey, how is your eternity? Well, at that meeting, he didn't give his life to the Lord, but a couple weeks later, Linda came back and said, Pastor, you're not going to believe it. Frank gave his life to the Lord this week. And, uh, and he is experiencing the same assurance that the thief on the cross experienced that day. And it's incredible. When you look at that last verse in verse 43, I want to quickly look at this. Um, he's, it simply says, Today you will be with me in paradise. There's four quick characteristics about salvation that are real for you and real for the people that this week that you're going to reach out to. The first thing is this, and um, Jessica and Reagan, you can come. The first thing is that salvation is immediate. It's today. Jesus doesn't make you wait to that your assurance or that your salvation is secure. There's no purgatory after you die either, just in case you were wondering. Uh, there's no such thing as purgatory in the Bible. No such thing as soul sleep. If when you die, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in God's scripture. And that is a wonderful comfort for those of us that, um, that have loved ones that have passed. The second thing is not only is salvation immediate, salvation is certain. It says today you will. There's no doubt. It's not, I hope today you might, or let me think about it. Jesus told that thief on the cross, today you will. You will. Salvation is certain. When you accept Christ, it is certain. There's no question. The third thing is that salvation is a relationship. He says, you will what? 
be with me. We're not talking about a religion or rules or regulations. We're not talking about ritual. We're talking about a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He's our comforter. And you know, we were talking earlier, we can hear His voice. And God wants a relationship with you. The last thing that we can know is that salvation is forever. And paradise, heaven, is a real and forever place. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. An eternal bliss forever and ever. Two other quick verses as we consider how and when can we be saved? What's the best time? Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. It says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Let that sink in. If you are away from the Lord today, now is the time of God's favor. You are here on purpose. You are here for a reason. Today is the day of salvation for you. And if you are a believer, you need to take that word and let it settle in your heart as you are walking through the mall later today or you're working in the yard and your neighbor comes over. Now is the time of God's favor. Like Frank needed to come to the Lord, he needed that assurance. There are going to be people this week that you will rub shoulders with that need to hear that today is the day of salvation for them. And the last verse that I direct you to is Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 13, which talks about the fact that it's our choice. There were two thieves on the cross, one on the right, one on the left. One decided to continue to hurl insults and will spend an eternity away from God. The other one humbled himself simply said, remember me. Remember me. And this morning, as we close our service, I'm wondering if today is that day for you? Or would God put it in your heart to make that decision to share that truth with someone else? I asked my daughter to help me close the service today. Yesterday, we had that privilege of going to the Fine Arts Festival, which is a ministry festival where kids uh, get to use their gifts for the Lord. And as I was praying this morning and asking, Lord, how would you like me to close this service? This song that, Je- that Reagan sang yesterday uh, just was going over and over in my mind. And so I asked her this morning, I said, would you be willing to, to sing? The song is simply called, I Have Found. And listen to the words of the song as you consider not only your life, because in a moment I'm going to come back and, and there's going to be an opportunity for salvation for you. But then the second thing is there is an opportunity for you to share what you found this week. To share a word of assurance with someone this week. So Reagan, thank you, sweetie, on short notice. And you can just pick it up 
There you go. Amen. All right. Is that microphone on? It's on. All right. Praise the Lord.
If you are here this morning and you are away from the Lord, you're feeling like God is calling your name and you would love to be able to sing a song that I found you and only you. Would you respond in just a moment and say, God, remember me? There's no special words. There's no special formula. It's your heart turning towards the Lord. And if your heart is away from God this morning, don't leave here until you have settled that. This morning, you can walk away with great assurance that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed as we wrap up this service. If you are here and you know for certain, if you have the assurance that you are a believer, that Jesus is living in your heart, I want you just to slip up your hand right where you are, if that's you. If you're saying, there's no doubt in my mind, yeah, yeah, okay. A lot of hands, a lot of hands. whatever reason we're unable to raise your hand let me just say we've been praying for you God is calling you at this moment to just simply say I trust you Lord remember me to put your faith in him and there's no specific words you say it's your heart trust. If you're here and you're saying, man, my heart is longing to trust in Jesus this morning. I want to settle my account with the Lord in heaven. I want to be certain of my salvation. Just slip up your hand right where you are. Who this morning? Yeah. And one at all saying, yep, that's me. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you forward this morning. I do want to pray. All right. Anyone at all? All right. I want everyone's eyes on me. As far as I could tell, no one responded. And that's okay. But what that means is one of two things. Either you know for certain, which is wonderful, like you raised your hand, many of you raised your hands. If you didn't raise your hand and you didn't raise your hand the second time, maybe, maybe you're not ready. And let me just remind you of that verse in Second Corinthians. It says, today is the day of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. And you don't even have to raise your hand. It, it's in your own heart. We don't have to know, and that's okay. But let me charge you this week that it is your job, it is my job, it is our job to be the body of Christ and to share this word of assurance. And if you are willing this week to look for opportunities and then to be willing to say something, 
I want you to stand right where you are and I'm going to pray a prayer of benediction over you. You say, man, that sounds hard. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure I can do it. Well, I'm going to pray for boldness too because it is hard. There are times I've known I was supposed to share and it's like, you know, I wimp out. But if you're saying, God, I want to be able to share. I am willing to share. I will even look for opportunities to share this word of assurance. pray for you as before we're dismissed. Lord, this morning you've captured our hearts. And Lord, we desire to see your word go forward. And I just charge each person that's standing with a boldness and with opportunity to share your good news. Lord, I pray that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.